You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All righty, here we go again. One second, I'm going to take a sip of the whiskey. By the way, if you are ever in... Eastern Iowa, make sure you stop at the Cedar Ridge Winery and Distillery. Uh, these guys don't plug me, or I don't plug these guys. They're not partners, whatever. But they make some of the best bourbon that I really have ever tasted, and I've tasted a lot of bourbon. I'm a huge fan of it. Um, it's delicious, and that's why I said that. Anyway, anyway today... We are going to be talking with a gentleman all the way out of Alabama, and he's going to talk with us a little bit about, you know, how he hunts in Alabama, the terrain. This this is a hunter profile podcast, and then we're also going to talk to him about his out-of-state hunts in Kansas that he's gone on the last four years. He's gotten skunked the first three years and then uh, connected this year on his first and biggest buck ever. Um, So it's kind of exciting to hear that. Really interesting, really cool podcast. And if you haven't noticed, these podcasts are going a little longer um, just because, I don't know, we get in a flow and I think it's just really good conversation. Nothing's forced and we, you know, and if they go long, they go long. Little update on my weekend. We had a really fun, awesome weekend. I got to turkey hunt. I got to mushroom hunt. I got to go fishing. I got to spend time with my family. And what else could a guy ask for? That's about it. We had an app. I had an absolute blast this weekend, even though I didn't end up killing a turkey. I'm going to give you the abbreviated version of how it all went down. Uh, Saturday, or excuse me, Friday, I take a three day weekend. Uh, to do this because the season in Iowa, second season shotgun in Iowa starts on a Friday most years. Uh, we, Me and my wife went out to a blind that I had set up the night before and we had a lot of activity, or I shouldn't say a lot, but we had a good amount of gobbles and then after they pitched down, game over. Like, no more gobbling. Uh, we did a little bit of running and gunning. Uh, we saw a couple strutting in a, in a field uh, long story short, we made a move on them, cut across the field, back, tried to backdoor them, and uh, when I saw them from the road, they were working their way back towards the timber. So I was focused on the timber line when, in, act, in all actuality, they turned around and headed back towards the road, and I got busted, uh, in, even in the timber. So they, they found me, and uh, I can't believe... for that something with a brain the size of a thumbnail, if, if that, how, how well these guys see. And I was taking my time. I was making sure I wasn't skylined in the timber. Sure enough, they busted me. And uh, 
there was that. I took the wife home. I played a little bit with the kids. Um, I came right. I came back out, and uh, there's a spot that in the past is produced. So I wanted to go check it out. I walk through a section of timber along a fence line. It's real thick, so I'm pretty much covered up. And all of a sudden, I start hearing this one Tom just going bananas. He is gobbling his ass off. Uh, so I, I get in this little corner. I call, and he just starts responding. I call, he responds, calls, so forth and so on. And I get him up to about 50 yards. I need him to come in about another 15 yards. And so he's, he's heading to a low spot in the field. So when he comes to strut, he can't see it. He can't see me. So I adjust. I get my gun lined up perfectly with him. He comes up. He's about forty-five. Yeah, I'd say about forty-five yards. I need him to come maybe ten more yards. And I have two slate calls that are tied together by a shoestring. And that's I keep them both together because I like to use both of them. And they slid off of my lap, and they made a clink noise uh, his head popped up and i knew that if i didn't take the shot then it was uh it was over anyway so i pulled the trigger i think the pattern was just too wide by the time it got to him and uh by the way i shoot a 20 gauge with three inch cells a lot of people say oh that's not big enough to kill a bird but i've killed tons of birds with that particular setup over the years my wife's killed birds with a 20 gauge and uh they it does do the trick i think it was just a little too far out for him to absorb the entire pattern uh dumb dumb move on my part but um you know he turned around i i tried to pump again my shell got caught so i had to pull my shell out finish the pump get him back in the side i let off one more uh shot and uh i don't i don't even think i hit him and he was off he was flying away and let me say this is probably one of the biggest toms that i have ever i have ever come across uh he just he looked like an oven strutting in a field that's how big he was oh and by the way that same morning my stepdad shot a 31 pound tom which is five pounds five or six pounds higher than what i would consider the average bird harvested uh, in my area it had an almost 12 inch beard and almost two inch birds i think one of them was two inches so a gigantic bird um and uh yeah so there's that was day one we went out, we found some mushrooms, we came back uh, Friday night, We ha- and then we went fishing, right? So Friday night, we had fish, we had, oh, I don't even know what we had. We had, yeah, we had fish, we had turkey, we had mushrooms. So everything on our plate was under 24 hours from the field to the table. And for some reason, that to me is absolutely awesome. Uh, Next morning, Saturday morning, we went out. Me and the wife went back to where we saw those toms strutting in the field. We tried to get off. We had one tom gobbling at the end of the ridge. And this this is the theme of the rest of the weekend is hend up. 
every every time I tried to call, they would respond, but it just seemed like they were heading in the wrong direction. Uh, and I even tried to play that waiting game where you get a response and you just shut up and you wait. And uh, sometimes that they'll get, that'll get them so pissed, you know, so excited that they'll come in to inspect. But they were hend up so bad this weekend that uh, I was kind of, um, you know, I was I was the underdog at that point. And then Sunday I went back out solo. I didn't even I didn't even go in a blind uh, at that point. I was running and gunning and. I was chasing gobbles all day. Just when I thought that I was, I had them in a good position, they were on the next ridge. Uh, so I decided, hey, I'm going to go two ridges over, and uh, they were. Then they went back a ridge. And if this tom, if these toms were by themselves, I had a feeling that they would they would come in, but they decided not to. They were uh, end up, like I said, pretty bad. And uh, I had one tom responding later later on Sunday. Uh, and it, nothing, I mean, there was a road in between us, first of all, and he was responsive. I jumped the road going into another piece of property that I had access to. He was in a piece of property that I didn't have access to, and I was hoping to call him up to the fence. And just as I had him gobbling within probably 30 yards, all he had to do is come through some brush. A car came by, spooked him, and he was gone. So after that, found some more mushrooms, caught a couple more fish, and then uh, here I am bitching to you about having to go sit in a cubicle uh, for for a period of time. But I tell you what, I didn't kill a turkey, right? And that that kind of sucks, but at the same time, all the positive things that happened this weekend overshadowed that big time. My wife now is a mushroom hunting addict, uh, I'm going to be able to spend it. She loves to do it. I have a daughter who loves fishing. She caught five fish this weekend all by herself. And watching a kid reel in a fish for the very first time all by herself and pull it out of the water and just to see the excitement and smile on her face is something I will absolutely never forget. Um, so... If you get a chance to take a kid fishing, that's a great introduction to the outdoors. Um, I know my wife has already uh, said that we need to do more of that, and my daughter wants to do more of it. So this summer we're going to start doing a little, as a family, we're going to start doing a little bit more stuff like some camping, some more fishing, some picnics, some hikes. Just try to get these kids outside away from those damn iPads and cell phones and all that BS because uh, really it doesn't do any good. Anyway, before we get into today's podcast, um, really quick, I talked with a, a guy who this was his first year using an Exodus trail camera. And uh, let me just tell you, here's what he had to say about it. Um, I like the, the overall build of the actual camera. Um, I like the integrated cable lock system on the back, the double latch systems to keep moisture out. Um, also the option for uh, different uh, mounting to a tree because you have two different parts you can put tripod mounts on it, uh, two different mounting holes you can put tripod mounts on it. 
the quality of the pictures it would take, uh, whenever I put it up, I knew it was not going to miss a picture. I wouldn't have any blurry pictures. Um, I had a big buck I was after, and the pictures I got of them were crystal, were crystal clear. Uh, even when he was moving, they were, they were not blurry at all. Um, it ran flawlessly. Uh, his power consumption on batteries was amazing. Um, I still have the same batteries I put in uh, when I received the camera in October, and it still shows full power, and that's after taking like around five, 6,000 pictures. I then asked him how he uses his Exodus trail cameras. Uh, well, in the, in the springtime, um, when I install them, when I hang them up, I first put them over top of the mineral stations. Uh, just that way I make sure I get a lot of deer coming to them. Uh, then come mid-October, I usually transition them, or towards October, I transition them to uh, known scrape and uh, scrape trees. Also travel corridors to try and see what bucks are still around come October. Uh, and then November, I actually will move them all to travel corridors to see who's moving where and when. Um, again, the, the trigger time on them is fantastic. So even if a, a buck's dog and a doe, you're going to get a great picture of both of them as they run by the camera. Huge shout out to, uh, Scott Clark from Canada, uh, for sharing his Exodus experience with us. Um, if you guys are interested in checking out more information, finding more information about Exodus outdoor gear and their, in their trail cameras, visit exodusoutdoorgear.com. And when you do decide to purchase a trail camera, you can save $20 by entering the code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers, no spaces, all lowercase. And you will receive $20 off of your trail camera purchase. So there's that. Now, the moment you've all been waiting for, let's get into today's Hunter Profile Podcast. All right, Mr. Chris Morris, how are you doing today? We're doing great, Dan. How are you today? We're doing good. We're doing good. So I think the first the first thing that we want to get completely out of the way is before we started recording, you said you had a response to the last, uh, I think it was a Hunter Profile Podcast that we did. Uh, he's from... Tennessee and he's a volunteers fan and I think he talks some trash on Alabama. So I, I hear yes. I hear I hear a rebuttal coming up. <laughs> You're exactly right, Dan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I hear I think his name was Matthew or, or Billy Bob. I can't remember. One of the two. But uh, <laughs> all I can say is that, you know, everybody hates the winner. We've got sixteen national championship trophies to back that up, but uh but 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 what I, one good thing I was going to say about uh, Knoxville, which I believe is where he was from, I believe that's the home of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have a claim to fame. What is that? I don't know if you actually knew this or not? They actually, <laughs> am, I, am I walking into a? Am I walking into a punchline? <laughs> <laughs> they they actually invented the toothbrush there in Knoxville, so they do have a claim to fame. So we have something to thank for. But we know for sure that it was invented there because. If it had been vented anywhere else in the country, it would have been called a teeth brush. <laughs> but anyway. I don't know. I I tell you what, we may have just started something. And uh... but anyhow, we we enjoy playing Tennessee every year. So it's good to rack up one win on our column each, each year. <laughs> but anyway, here it goes. Here it goes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I love it. Uh, yeah. I wish I had, you know, 
back uh, was 2015. Uh, the yeah. University of Iowa had an undefeated regular season. We went uh, That's you know, right. we went to the uh, road, uh, the Big Ten playoff. We got beat just barely by Michigan State, and then uh, that I think that year I don't know we got stomped in uh, our bowl game. Uh, yeah. and I, for, I forgot who we played, but I'm guessing it was a SEC team that uh, you know <laughs> the pros of the college the college game, right? <laughs> Yeah, we're uh, Tennessee, Alabama. We're all big uh, SEC fans, of course. So down in Alabama, that's the you know there's no there's no professional NFL mm-hmm. teams anywhere close by Atlanta, probably or New Orleans. So so we really that's that's what we put most all our uh, uh, attention to is, and of course that's what you know when you're born when you're born in Alabama, you're either an Alabama fan or you're an Auburn fan. I mean that's just. That's almost the facts of life. <laughs> right, right. But Here's we have a, no professional sports. I, I guess that's the same in Iowa. I, Iowa doesn't yeah. have any uh, professional sports, but yeah, I used to work down in uh, Alabama uh, in a town mm-hmm. called um, Decatur, which is just north of where I lived in a very small town called Hartzell. That's I'm correct. Not sure. yeah, I know where it is. I'm not sure. Okay. But anyway, um, I had tickets. I had two tickets to the Alabama-Auburn game, and I think that year it was uh, played um, in at Auburn. And uh, I ended up having to give them away. But after listening to people talk about that, it's like that was a, that was almost a sin because those tickets are so hard to get. Oh, they're, they're, they're extremely hard to get. And they're, I mean, <clears throat> you can ask several different schools and you can sell different answers, but uh, here in the South, that's one of the greatest – uh, all-time rivalry rivalries of all time, you know, and yeah. we just it's it's always no no matter what your record is, you know, Alabama could be number one, Auburn could be number thirty, it, it wouldn't matter. It'd still be a good game just because of the competitive rivalry between the two schools. Right, yeah, it's, it's right. great. Cool. So you're from <laughs> Alabama. Whereabouts in Alabama do you live? I am. Uh, I'm I'm from LA. That's what we say. We're from Lower Alabama. Okay. <laughs> We're. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not the LA on the West Coast, but we're approximately probably ninety miles from the Gulf of Mexico. All right. The uh the nearest you know, to the north, of course. Uh the nearest city would be Mobile. Mobile, Alabama. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. All right. Born so and then, raised uh, here. Born and raised. All right. So then uh what do you do for a living? Actually I work for a, a major chemical company. We uh we produce uh, agricultural products like insecticides and herbicides for agriculture yeah okay cool all right so the yep. first thing i want to talk about is uh uh what is just a very vague overall question what's what's hunting mm-hmm. deer hunting like in alabama because when i lived there i saw it and that was in around that decatur area and i tr- i was on the road um, early in the morning and late in the evening, and I hardly saw any deer at all. Um, that's, yeah, that's yeah. So Go what ahead. is what is what is the overall deer hunting like in Alabama? Yeah, well, like I said, we're in the southern half of the state, which the southern half of the state is a little. It's, it's well, I say a little. It's a lot. It's a lot thicker than the uh, northern part of the state. It's of course the whole state of Alabama is just. Uh, what we what we call down here piney woods. It's just mostly yeah. pine trees. Uh, you've got a few hardwood bottoms along the rivers, but 
Uh, I think you've had someone maybe on the show before that talked about instead of down, instead of down here, we don't have uh, corn and soybeans for agriculture. We have pine trees is what we farm down here. Right. <laughs> and right. the logging logging industry is huge. They they're you know they're always moving into uh, wooded areas and you know wiping out most of your mature trees and replanting them with pines. Which the pines, you know, they come back, but but your landscape is a lot of uh, clear cuts. Uh, of course, you still have some, some of the privately owned areas, you know, but mostly your river bottoms are hardwoods. But it's hard. It's hard hunting. It's thick. It's thick woods. Um, you, you don't see like actually with me going out to uh, Kansas the last four years. This the the differences are just just tremendous. You know, uh, you know, you see deer out there constantly, and where here in Alabama, you may you may hunt a couple of days and not see a deer, um, and longer than that sometimes, but they're just, they're, the deer are very, they're very wary. They're very skittish. Um, they, they, they look, they look up in trees early and often. <laughs> uh, they're just, they're just, they're, they're a different breed. They're, they're, uh, if I don't know if you, you probably listen to the, uh, Gritty Bowman podcast. Yeah. Every once in a while. Yep. They, uh, they did a trip to Alabama. It'd be interesting to uh, listen for you if you have time or anybody kind of wants to get a feel for Alabama. They did a um, bow hunting trip to Alabama, central Alabama, this past uh, January. And they they pretty much uh, sum up the way hunting is down here in southern Alabama. It's, it's, uh, it's, just, it's just, I don't know, it's just different. Right. You don't see, you don't kill. We have good bucks down here, but you don't kill them very often. It's just, they're just. Unless you've got a very exclusive private piece of property that's not pressured at all, uh, most of the bigger bucks are nocturnal. I mean, it's they're just they're hard to come by. Gotcha. So then, is what's the what's the population like? And then at that, you know, with that being said, is a lot of the because of the pressure, because of just you know the landscape. Are we talking a lot of nocturnal movement? Yes. Um, very early in, you know, our bow season comes in down here the 15th of October. Okay. And and you, you can put your trail cameras out and you may get um, one or two decent bucks on trail camera, maybe like the first week of bow season. And then you, you really don't, you really don't see any decent bucks in the daylight. Uh, you, you see, get a lot of nighttime trail pictures until, until the rut. <clears throat> which uh odd enough down here is uh the last week of january okay so and, uh, late end, of, end, of, end of february yeah so it's, so if you don't if you don't get a buck early i mean i'm like like real early they uh you you just about you you're just about real i mean really we have a uh the whole i know y'all hear y'all hear uh you guys talk about the october lull ours is the month of december the month of december you just about i mean once in a blue moon, somebody will kill a good buck in December, but it's it's rare. Okay. Uh, you just about have to get on over to January when the when the uh, does start coming into estrus. Right. But, so yeah. October thirteenth starts your archery season, and how long does that archery season go until gun season? Yeah, uh, yeah, October fifteenth, and it goes until around the seventeenth of November is when gun season comes in. Okay. So, yeah, so you guys about a month. Okay. But, then, but yeah, but mm-hmm. 
And then that, how long does that last? Okay, then once rifle season comes in, we did have a split season uh, a few years ago where they shut the season down for 10 days, but they have they've done away with that this year. Uh, well, last year was the first year they did away with it again. So we'll be from around the 17th of November to February the 10th. So that entire time is gun season. So so November, all of, let's see, half of November, all of December and January, and then half of February? Yep, to February 10th, that's correct. So so roughly three months worth of gun season. That is correct. Yeah, that's correct. It's, it's, it's crazy, but that's, that's the way it's always been down here. Yeah. The only thing about uh, bow season, and, and you got a lot of people who love to bow hunt, is from October to November is very rarely uh, any, much cool weather. It's always hot. I mean, it's right. it's very hot. So you may you may get one or two cold fronts, but uh, we experience hot weather, you know, on, on, on over into November. So, okay. so you're still battling mosquitoes and sweating and... <laughs> Not ideal hunting conditions. Right. So, you know, because the rut is at a different time down there mm-hmm. than, you know, the, let's say the Midwest, uh, we'll use that yeah. as the example. So, like, the mm-hmm. rut starts to, you know, you got some pre-rut movement late October, and then the first two weeks are, uh, first two weeks, three weeks of November is when a lot of the breeding happens. Um, and the antlers fall out off shortly after that, you know, uh, in January, February, March, and then they start growing again, April, May, June, July, August, and then in September they strip. Um, is that, is, is the antler growing cycle down there the same, even though the rut is later in the year? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you'll, you'll start seeing, um, antlers start dropping off in, uh, Early April, probably. Uh, then, then like I said, by by mid May, mid May or so, they'll uh, they'll start growing them back already. Okay, so if yeah. let's say up here, March is the big, you know, mm-hmm. uh, February and March would be good for shed hunting. Um, yeah. Well, February, the deer are still, you know, potentially breeding, uh, yeah. and fighting, and yeah. and you know, yeah. So. Does that get kicked back uh, a month or two? So it, would you, if you were looking for sheds, would April be the best month in Alabama to do that? Yeah, it would. Be. I, I've seen, I have seen uh, uh, bucks actually chasing does uh, over into March before. Of course, not lately, but I have. Uh, you know, still carrying their antlers, but it would definitely be over into uh, over into probably first of April, mid April. But the thing, and that's all uh, kind of property dependent because most of the, like I said, most of the areas down here are so thick that that we very very seldom find the uh, shed antlers. And when they when they do fall, it seems like the squirrels and uh, everything start chewing on them. And and you, I mean, I, I can count right. on probably one or two hands the number of sheds I found in all my years of hunting. You just unless you just happen to walk up on one. A day or two after they fall, you you hardly ever find them because I guess they they find the thickest the thickest area in the woods and <laughs> that's where they're, they're hanging out and that's where they fall off. I guess right. It's just something so, you never hardly find. <clears throat> so the conversation that we're having 
is similar to a couple other guys that I've had from Florida. You know, mm-hmm. they got those a yeah. uh, lot of pines, a lot of uh, really thick, nasty stuff, a lot of forest yep. or um, uh, uh, foresting and whatnot. What are the num- the overall numbers like in Alabama? Because you, you mentioned it, you could go, you know, a couple days without seeing a deer. Is that just in your area or overall is it a, a no. low – low numbered state no it's I, I think it's a pretty good uh, pretty good deer population um I, I can't say that where i've been hunting you know the, i mean i have in the past years ago i you know i could go maybe a few days without seeing a deer but you still if you see i would say if you've seen i don't know how many deer per acre i could uh, approximate but i would say on an average day if you went hunting and if you saw you know uh you know, maybe four, four to six deer. You've had a good day. I mean, it's okay. it's just uh, the woods are just so big. I guess uh, it's just finding because really, where you want if you, unless you hunt a big open field, you just have to find a open spot in the uh, open spot in the woods where you know you know where there's some sign is. But um, yeah, I would say probably you know four to six would be a good day. I mean, unless like unless you have big fields where these deer come out, and you know I know some people. And Alabama can go and watch 20 to 30 deer in a field, but not so much where I live. Right. Okay. Yeah. So then, are you, do you mainly hunt public ground or pu- private ground? I hunt private lease ground, yeah. Okay. Now, is that a, a club? Like a lot of, I hear a lot of guys in the South talk mm-hmm. about, you know, their hunt club that's, where they share a lease with like uh, 10 other guys. That's correct. This, uh, we have uh, six guys. Uh, a little over a thousand acres. Okay. So, uh, and just, because I've never asked this question before, how much money do you pay for your lease? Okay. We, of course, we split it six ways. So we'll, right. we'll wind up spending, um, I think this past year, which was my first year in the current lease that I'm in, I think we paid, uh, four, I think it was 1400 per person. And that's not counting... That's not counting all your, uh, you know, you got to plant your food plots and then your summer plots. So, so right. it, it can, you know, it can get on up into money pretty quick. Right. So $1,400 is what you paid to just lease the ground. And just, then just, is, the lease, yeah. just the lease, then you start getting into food plots mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Is that something that you also split six ways as well? Yes, we do. We do. Okay. We now, I talked I talked to a guy down in Texas, right? And he says he has a hunt club. He's in a hunt club. But yes. he has a spe- only a specific part of that lease that, he every, you know, it's not necessarily that he only hunts there, but it's kind of an unwritten rule that says, okay, well, you get, you know, here's your area. I'll stay in my area. You get you stay in your area, and you just don't, you know, tromp on others, uh, I guess, sections is that what you guys do as well or is yours kind of a, a free-for-all type of deal yeah our, ours is more of a free-for-all we have a uh we have like a lease map on a uh, board when you enter the club when you come onto the property and uh, we'll just we'll hang a washer or sign out for an area that we're going to be in and then just, it's just first come first serve uh okay. of course if, if someone if someone has spotted a buck or you know that person is hunting 
hunting that area pretty hard. You know, you might, uh, just out of, you know, courtesy, you know, let him have that spot, but pretty much it's whoever gets there first and go wherever they want to. It's nothing, nothing, uh, aligned to each person. Now <clears throat> on the, uh, flip side of that. Now, when I was growing up, uh, we was in a, when I was a young teenager, uh, dog hunting was really the, the way that most people deer hunted in my, my community. Yeah. And so, so it was, it was mostly family and friends, you know, and so steel hunting was, was something that was strange and foreign to most of them until I was probably a mid to upper teenager. You know, people started planting their own areas and you did at that point, you did have your own area. Like I would have one grass patch. Some families might have two or three, uh, grass in the fields, you know, but, but that was, but that was, that, that's, that's the, the main way I grew up probably till I was, 16 or 17 years old i didn't know what didn't know what uh steel hunting even was that's crazy right um because i've (laughs) I've, you know hunting with dogs up up here is illegal um yeah how does that work walk me through how you you know very high level how you hunt with dogs sure okay like like i said um we had uh with a dog leash and it was probably six thousand acres and so you had several members in that club and you have some people that would have dogs. Some people didn't have dogs. So usually the people with the dogs like, like to be the driver, what we call the driver. So, so the people with the dogs, they would go to a certain uh, spot where they would start to drive and all the hunters would uh, circle a large, very large perimeter. You know, you, you would put out what we call a standard uh, one guy would get out at one spot in the road, you know, dirt road, and then, then the next guy might be, you know, five, six hundred, seven hundred yards away, you know, out of gunshot mm-hmm. range. We, you know, put them safely from each other, around curves, and so that's what they would circle this in, this area. So you may have twenty, twenty five standards, and uh, one or two drivers that would walk through the woods with their dogs, and and then the dogs jump a deer and hopefully hopefully the deer runs out across one of the standards and the standards uh, shoots with a gun and yeah. we can we kill many 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 deer in this this way but what what you would find most of the older bucks instead of uh getting run by dogs whenever the he started hearing all the noise from the drivers and people walking they would they would slip out of the area of the woods and that's the way most of them would get killed so you'd find the buck slipping out but okay but so, it, it was a lot of fun. So then do you ever let the dogs go? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, okay. once the driver goes in the woods, you know, they let the dogs out of their boxes or whatever they carry them in, and the dogs run through the woods, and if they jump a deer, then, they, you know, they run. The, hopefully, hopefully the deer will run out across one of the standards. But, but even with the dog chasing them, they're still very smart. They will find the one spot where somebody's not at, and they'll slip out. Because <laughs> what they would right. do, they would – run up toward the road and they would if the wind was blowing right they would wind they would smell the guy on the road so they would turn and go down and find a spot where they could cross nobody was at okay yeah i mean that's the exact same principle of party hunting (laughs) in yeah we have in iowa just without just without dogs for some reason i was under i was under the impression that the dog would at some point catch them 
and oh no, you know, no. Or, or catch up to them or, or wear them down or because uh, yeah. you know, like when when you hunt uh, hogs, mm-hmm. some you know they they run them with dogs and the dogs corner them and then they send in a bigger, meaner dog to you know That's bite great. them and finish them off or you know or, or oh, that. Wow. But so it's basically just to get the the dogs are basically used to chase them down and chase them out. Yeah, to get them on their feet. Yeah, get them on their feet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I gotcha. And is that still legal in your part of the state? It is. Uh, it's becoming. It's uh, you know landowners. I'm sure up that way too because it's not not even legal. But uh, most landowners don't want dogs coming through their property because you know because the hunting culture down here you know several years ago has turned more to still hunting and people you know people hunting more out of stands and hunting with dogs but it's, it's still a big uh passion by a lot of people i haven't myself i haven't dog hunted in several 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 years uh but but you, you're seeing less and less uh that, like there's some counties down here that that don't allow it at all and but but it's still legal um uh, their season has been shortened a little bit but but there's still a lot of people. I, I know people that still do it. It's, it's still done around here, some, but the lease that I'm in is a, a stalk hunting only lease. Okay. But mo- most right. leases are stalk hunting now nowadays. You have you have a few few dog clubs they call them, but not, not nowhere near as many it was when I was a young teenager. Right. I would just assume that you know the dogs. If if the deer, if you run those dogs on that property. And you know you're you got a whole bunch of people, and you try to. And I take it that dog hunting, it's not necessarily a selective type of hunting where you're letting young bucks pass. It's kind of a it's brown, it's down mentality. Well, um, it's very hard. I mean, I'm, as I'm sure if you've done some of the party hunting, it's very hard to tell what size a buck is when he's coming across there at yeah. a, at mock speed. <laughs> yeah, but yep. they try. A lot of clubs try to. Uh, try to put a little bit of a limit like you know don't kill a uh one-year-old or you know cow on three point try to make sure he's got a, a respectable rack you know but you can't really judge uh main beams and width hardly yeah, while they're doing running. that type of hunting yeah <laughs> so then um how often i'm just you know kind of curious about this dog hunting how mm-hmm. often yeah do they actually dog hunt those properties? Do they do it once, like every two weeks, then let the property settle, let the deer come back in, and then do it all over again? Or or is it something where they just run them every day of the season? No, they it's, it's mainly uh, like an every weekend type thing. Gotcha. They, they do it on the weekends and holidays, like around Thanksgiving break when the kids are out for Thanksgiving. I know they... You know, they usually hunt that entire week. And then Christmas week, they'll hunt that entire week. But mostly it's just uh, just a weekend and holiday type thing. Now, there, there are the exceptions. I know some clubs that do it every day, which is crazy. But most 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 places that I've ever known of is just, just on the weekends. Right. I just see that, you know, you're, you're running those dogs. And even, whether it's dogs or party hunting every day, the deer are going to just be like, well, screw that. I'm not going to live there anymore. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And the weird thing about dog hunting, I seen this when I was, uh, when I was young, we would, we would, um, turn the dogs loose in a certain spot 
and uh, they would jump this they would jump this buck because people could catch a glimpse of him, and he would the dogs. You know, we had some short running dogs, some long running dogs. Some dogs would uh, strike the deer, and then they would run out of here, and then they would actually you know go off the property, and you you may not find them for the next day or two. We'd come back there a day or two, and the dogs would jump the buck in the same spot. He had oh, wow. he had wandered back. Yeah, he'd wandered back from where wherever he ran to, and he came back home a day or two later. But and I've nice. seen that uh, many many times. It's crazy. But I think some of them just feel comfortable there, and they want to mm-hmm. return to their home area. But but I would I could see if you did it every single day, they would just you know they they hate with this. It's time to find somewhere else to live. Right. But right. Well, that kind of, that that principle kind of works with all bucks i mean um mm-hmm. you know there's guys who there's a term called the bump and dump where you yeah. will you'll walk through the timber you'll bump a deer and then you'll set back up on him and then that next morning when he comes back to bed uh you you you've put yourself in a position where you can kind of ambush him from you know from a tree stand so you know if a dog bumps them or a human bumps them or whatever and that is truly a place that they feel comfortable in because hey i survived right i survived that encounter let's go back there and and uh right. I'll, I'll live for another day but so are you mainly a uh, a bow hunter or do you gun hunt as well i do both um i i bow hunt uh pretty much from from uh, October through a good portion of December, I, I will. I may pick my rifle up once once in November, like a, maybe opening weekend or something. But uh, I I love to bow hunt, but it's very hard to get a nice buck uh, in Alabama with my bow. Some people do it. It's it's very difficult. It's very frustrating. Uh, the two bucks that I killed with my rifle in Alabama this year, I, there's no way I could kill the either one of them with my bow i mean it's just it's just the, the i think i've heard one of your previous callers talk about this this area down here the, pretty much our whole property is it's just one huge bedding area so you can't really okay. pattern them from like food to bed or you basically just have to find you try to find them one of the more open spots in the woods and try to clear it out a little more and you know and hope you know if, if you find somewhere where you can where you can actually see you know and you, you only your your entry and access. You only have like one access. There's no way to get into it a different way, you know. So you you you're, you're it's, it's it's just hard. It's uh, but I, I do I try to kill a couple does, uh, two or three does with my bow early season here in Alabama, and and then uh, come the rut time in Alabama, I usually I usually pull out my rifle. Okay. And try, now I won't I want to try it, but it's it's just. I would love to get a nice buck in Alabama with my bow, but it's it's just oh it's so hard compared to the Midwest, you know, like I've been doing. It's just a to- totally different ball game. So what is hard about other than it being really thick and nasty, and you mm-hmm. know your property being one big bedding area? Yeah, and you you also mentioned something about its access in and out is is kind of yeah. hard. Um, yeah, limited. Yeah, is the terrain flat? Because when I go to, when I go to, uh, you know, when I go to find a hunting location, uh, a stand location, you know, there's, there's several things that determine what makes that a good location, but I also have to find different access routes 
for that particular stand location, let's say, okay, I got a trail camera picture of a buck, but my normal access route is bad because the wind could, you know, screw it up. So I got to, I got to come in from a direct different direction. Why, why is that a no go on some of the properties that are on the property that you hunt? Uh, like you were saying, the, uh, like the, some spots, you know, I, I try to set up multiple spots during the hunting season. Uh, uh, I like to hunt down in the woods. Um, I will hunt, uh, some of these field edges we planted, but not very, you very seldom have a, a good buck that will come into these, uh, fields, these green fields, unless I say, unless it's just a property that's not that you hunt it, you hunt by yourself and maybe you don't hunt it very often. So they don't hear a lot of human presence, but these deer, they're just, I mean, it's like, like a few, a few days or a week or so of human, uh, coming humans coming and going out of their uh, bedrooms and they just, they just go underground. I mean, and you never see them again. And then even, even during the rut, even during the rut, they're just very, I mean, even though they're little, they let their guard down a little because of the does. They're still very, uh, very wary. Like the uh, the last buck I killed, he was he was coming along. Uh, the wind was perfect. It was a north wind blowing uh, toward me. He was he was uh, out in front of me, and still he's he he never saw me. He crossed a little creek. And uh, just just one of them six senses. He just did, he just sent something wasn't right, and he did a complete uh, turn and went right back the way he came. And uh, I was lucky to get a shot at him before he got totally out of sight. But they're just it's just hard to get a a good buck within a bow range. Like but but like I say, people in Alabama do it. Uh, it's yeah. just it's just not very common. So what is the terrain like there? Flat hilly. The terrain, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it depends on county to county because we, we have a lot of hills down here in Southern Alabama. You get extreme Southern Alabama. It's real flat, but where I, where I hunt at, we have, uh, we have a ro- little, little bit of rolling hills. So we have, uh, like, uh, small creeks, it's, you know, we got some, some large creek bottoms, some small creek bottoms, the smaller creek bottoms, you know, you have a, uh, a greater, uh, fall in the land you know it's a, it's a decline and then the incline right back up you know right so, but the uh the creek bottom that i killed these this, this last bug it was a fairly flat creek bottom but you it's it's not it's not like flat uh midwest flat but it's not it's not like um mountainous hills either it's just kind of some some mid-range type areas okay nothing nothing, so then- nothing awful Okay. So then were you, you were in the timber in kind of an open spot where you, where you killed your uh, two bucks this year, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. So, so then was that, was that later in the year Were both those bucks after you went to Kansas? They were, uh, they was, they was both the last week of January. Uh, uh, funny, uh, fun, it was the 26th and 28th of, uh, January. Uh, funny, funny thing back in, uh, 2005, I killed two of my best bucks on the January 26th and January 28th. Oh, really? The same, the same season. Yeah. 
that was kind of it's kind of weird. And both both years were my first first year in in each club. Okay. So is this uh, this would have been the rut then down there, right? Yes, that is correct. That is so correct. is the, the last, enti- last week of January. Okay, so is the entire state of Alabama uh, uh, January rut, or if you go north a little ways, is it different timing? Yes, exactly. It's different timing. Um, it seems like the southern part is more toward the end of January. I know I have a. Uh, friend from college their rut is around he's up in central alabama their rut is around christmas okay and you go a little little further north i think some of them is actually in november kind of like you guys gotcha but it's, it's just it's just a uh it's just a mixture i mean it's crazy okay all right now i kind of want to transition it into sure. you know you leaving the state and going to uh kansas um when you decided, because you've been doing this for four years, taking an out-of-state trip to Kansas, right? That's correct. Okay. Like, when you started to, you know, plan these hunts, why did you decide, okay, well, I want to go and go to a different state? What was your what was your thought process on why you decided to do something like that? Okay. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's just one of these one of these things, I guess. When you grow up in a state like Alabama, which, you know, typically doesn't have very large bucks. I mean, now we kill some from, I mean, around the state, they'll kill some 160, 170s in Alabama, but it's not very often. We just, the growth potential of a trophy buck is just not the same here as it is in the Midwest. So I always want, and Kansas was just always one of those states. Um, and I, I, you know, it's kind of, kind of, it was kind of like one day I'm going to go there, you know. Right. And finally, a, finally, a friend of ours, a friend of a friend, they came back uh, a few years ago with, they had, they had all three got just very nice bucks. And uh, it turns out they were something public land. I said, like, well, shoot, you know, we can do this. And it, it was just finally the, you know, the last straw that kind of, kind of, that kind of got us up and said, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's plan this. And so that's, that's kind of what egged us on. Okay. So then, um, you said, you know, basically that it was, you want, you want opportunities as at bigger bucks or was it just kind of, or was it also new experience as well? Yeah. Yeah. It's a combination of both. Um, you know, new, new land, um, new, new terrain, but, but I, I would say, you know, definitely the, the, the major reason because there's a chance that a uh, chance at a trophy buck, you know, but right. of course the experience with your friends, the trip out of state, you know, that's, that's part of it as well. But we definitely all wanted a chance at a good buck that we, you know, just didn't have the opportunity with here at home. Okay. So then what, what part of Kansas? Uh, central Kansas. Okay. Central Kansas and uh, the terrain a little bit different from uh, your pine tree forest. <laughs> oh my. Wow. Yeah, we uh, we we was one of, one of my friends had been out there to Kansas before. He uh, actually played on a, a semi-pro baseball team out there. He was a pitcher, but so he he was familiar with the terrain, and I always knew Kansas was flat. But until you see it, you really don't realize how flat it is. I mean, you can just see for miles and miles. You know, it's, it's, it's wild. It was just uh. Very, very few trees, and the trees that were there 
Uh, none of them are straight. Seems like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm definitely glad. I'm definitely glad I had a lock on with me and not a uh, just a regular climber. Right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, right, totally, so, totally different than what we're used to. All right. So when you you know four years ago when you said okay I'm I'm gonna go I want to go to Kansas, what kind of yeah. steps did you take? uh, to locate this, um, public hunting ground? Was it just something that, you know, a friend of a friend told you, Hey, you need to check out this particular spot. Or did you have to do research yourself on what, you know, where public hunting ground was located, what part of Kansas? Um, how did you go about that process? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we went, of course we went to the Kansas, uh, the DNR website, um, um, of course, and one of the friends, the friends that went out there and had the good luck, you know, they told us where they was the area where they was hunting. So we got on the, the looked in the walk-in area maps, the public maps, and tried to find an area that had the you know the greatest area of, of public access. And we started zoning in on them areas and and did, did a lot of and after we found them areas, did a lot of Google map studies. Um, basically, if you can find a seems to me i mean of course i'm still an inexperienced midwest hunter but you find you a good creek system a major creek system uh you hunt somewhere around that that's where the trees are of course and that's where the right. the deer seem to funnel but if you can find you a good creek system and next to some good agriculture you got a good a good starting point uh we we would actually you could zoom in uh with the google maps zoom in close enough to these fields along these creeks and you could actually zoom in enough to see fence lines. And if you look close enough, you see you actually see the deer trails crossing the fence lines. So that so that told me right away that's not a cow. <laughs> that's a deer right. trail. You know, it was crossing the fence. So that so we just did use a lot of that as our base studies and find good trails, uh, good creek systems on walk in areas and, and that's that's where we kinda we where we did our first uh, feet on the ground type uh, investigation. And uh, it actually, you know, worked out for us. The very first year, my my buddy he got a, a decent, not a huge buck, but a, a very nice buck that first year. Gotcha. So that's then. Uh, so the first thing you did was look at maps. Then you are and you went to websites to identify where you're going to go. That did you go up there before the season started to do some scouting, or did you just you know say okay we're going to go here and then hunting season came and that's where you went. Yeah, we, we, we wanted to. We would have loved to went up uh preseason or before the season started or before a trip, but uh it is uh right at seventeen and a half, eighteen hour trip one way. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> so we just we were, we wasn't able to really get the time off from our jobs or, or even even if it's that's just a long way to go. I I know a guy who makes that trip three times a year, but that's just that's too much for me. <laughs> right. So what right. we did, we just we got out there and we just uh, we just did our scouting, like the day of. I know a lot of these guys on TV say spend the first few days, you know, uh, glassing and find you a good spot. But we just kind of did a like a a one day scouting trip and then just you know started hunting from there because we only had a week. Gotcha. Uh, so we so our scouting has kind of been over a two or three year period. We're getting you know a little more information each year. So when you got up there that first year, did you, um, you know, you took a day to scout. Did you instantly find good sign scrapes, rubs, you know, well-used deer trails, or 
um, did you really have to do a lot of running gunning to find, you know, a, a good spot on this public ground? No, we, uh, we looked out, like I said, it was, it was a walk-in area that we mainly concentrated in and we found, uh, pretty much early on, we found some cornfields. Uh, of course, you know, I thought corn, corn is everywhere in Kansas, of course, but, but we found some good cornfields and, uh, some heavy trails coming in and out. They even found some, some large rubs. So, so we knew it was in a pretty decent spot. And uh, the pressure wasn't bad at all either that first year. So we, so we, we, uh, we it was three of us the first year. So we just kind of spread over this property uh, and just uh, like pretty, pretty much, like I said, pretty much that next day we was all we was all uh, seeing bucks. So we just kind of looked. At, I guess a little bit of luck and a little bit of pre-scouting on the maps. Okay, so did you? Did you run into, I mean, did you run into any other hunters while you were out there? Because right, you mentioned low pressure. Yeah, that, that was wild. That, that first year, we did not. We did not. We run into, well, I think we seen one truck on like the second, the first morning that we was hunting. Then after that, it was like we had the farm to ourselves. It was it was uh, very unusual. And, and it was like that the following year, too, but. I've been seeing these last couple of years as pressures, uh, more and more people seems to be coming into that area, but we had it to ourselves there for a couple of years. Okay. So how many yeah. acres were you working with, uh, for the three, a, uh, um, I want to say it was around, uh, maybe three or 400 acres. Three or, okay. Three or, yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And, uh, was there ag there for like? Was there agriculture there? Yeah, yeah. They, they, okay. uh, there was there was corn. Uh, I think there was some milo and uh, but cornfields seemed to be the. Uh, if we, you know, we found the different cornfields we found on the property seemed to be the hot spots where the deer was concentrating. They had just uh, they had just harvested the corn. Seemed seemed to be uh, a week or so before, because there's still a lot of kernels on the ground. Right. Now my, my uncle lives my uncle lives in Kansas and he says that the um, the deer are the rut in Kansas is about oh a week later than in Iowa so the typically the instead of the first and second probably the 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 second half of the month down there in, in mm -hmm. Kansas for November um, when did you guys go up there we we have been typically going around these second week uh anywhere from the anywhere from the fifth up to about the 13th or 14th uh the um I, I did i keep i keep a lot of uh records and i was a lot of our trips and several of our bucks have been killed in there within a two or three day window i mean it's, it's pretty crazy so it's pretty it seems like the rut is pretty consistent in that area and it's uh, I killed mine on the I killed mine on the twelfth of November this this past year, and several of the other deer have been killed around that twelfth, thirteenth time frame. So we 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 try to concentrate on that second week. Okay, and then on this while you're while you're on this uh, piece of property, you know you you have it. You take a day to go do some scouting. Um, are you hanging trail cameras up to try to see what's out there as far as mature bucks? We we have recently. We we, we didn't the, the first couple of years. We didn't do that. Uh, I don't know why. It just didn't cross our mind for some reason. But 
but this past couple of years we have done that. We've hung some trail cameras and we've got we've gotten uh, a couple nice ones, but nothing just nothing just real huge. Right. Because I know a lot of people when they go, you know, they live in states that typically, you know, like mm-hmm. when when I say Alabama, people don't say, oh, there there's a big buck state, right? So no, exactly. you, you you being from Alabama and going to Kansas, which is a big buck state, what was your expectations? You know, what was your goal? You know, what were you looking for as far as uh, caliber of, of buck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, and I think that's probably probably what messed me up uh from the uh my first year on i was my my goals were probably a little a little too high <laughs> i wanted i was looking for you know 150 160 inch or better you know because I, I had killed a uh i'd killed a 140 in, in alabama so i was you know i wanted something you know because i knew the potential of the deer in kansas and of course, I, you know, as once I get out there, you realize that the, the 150s, 160s, they aren't behind every bush out there. Right. <laughs> but they are there. I, I saw, I, I have seen, I have seen good bucks uh, every, every year I've been out there. I've seen some 150 class better, but, but just because you see them don't mean they're going to be in, within bow range. Right. And that's one thing probably in Kansas, you know, you're able to see a long ways and, yeah. um, you know, so your approach on a, on a property like this, you know, you're, you find a stand location, you're able to see a long ways and you see a, a deer, let's say a big buck cross a fence, you know, 300, 400 yards away. What's your mentality at that point? Are you going to sit in the same spot or are you going to go set up a stand where that buck was the following day or the, fo- the next available hunt? Yeah. Well, if, you know, if there's, if there's a, uh, if it's not off property and there's some, a tree there, then, you know, I definitely would take down and move, uh, the bucks, the, the bucks that I saw, uh, that was, you know, it wasn't that far off, but they would be like, you know, maybe 70 or 80 or a hundred yards away, you know, but, but, uh, so I, you know, at that point I just stayed in the same, same stand that I was in. Um, but I didn't, I, I, I do run and gun some, but, uh, out there, I haven't done it a whole lot because just of the uh, property lines. Seems like we're we're at where I'm hunting at is close to the property line. Okay, and they're they're kind of coming back and forth from the other property to this property. Okay, so year one of your Kansas trip, how'd that turn out for you? I tell you, my my first year was actually it was great. It was great, and it and it was bad all at the same time. Uh, I kind of got, I kind of got ruined my very first year. I, we, uh, we went to that spot that we'd scouted. Uh, it turned out to be a great spot. Uh, my buddy killed a buck there, I think the second day. And so I, so he was seeing a lot of the bucks. He said, you come and hunt this stand. So that's, so that's what I did. I started hunting that area the last two or three days. And I think the second day I was there, I had a, uh, I had somebody just texted me. I was looking down at my phone, and then I heard heard a commotion. I looked up, and I see a doe and this huge buck falling there. So I'm trying to stash my phone somewhere. And uh, by this time, before I get the phone stashed, they've done across the ravine. It's like a little, probably eight foot, eight foot little ravine back up onto my side. And the does come within probably 20, 25 yards of me. And I look, 
coming across that ravine behind him is just the, the biggest buck I ever seen in my life. I mean, he was, <laughs> he was huge. His bases, his bases, you know, he came to within 30 yards, but he was facing me head on. Uh, his bases were like, I, I declare they was big. You know, you heard people say biggest coat king. They was huge. And, uh, his tines looked to be 12 to 14 inches long. I mean, he was, he was 175, 180 class buck. He was, I mean, just enormous spread. And, uh, just, it shook me up <laughs> and I was in the tree. I was so nervous. And, uh, and like I said, he was just facing me, looking at me Well, he was looking past me and he just, he stopped and, uh, he started, he started acting like he was a little nervous looking around behind him and he stood there for a solid, I don't know, a solid minute or two. And so I, so I'm, I'm still in my Alabama mode. So I, I said, I, I got to shoot this deer. He's going to leave. So when he, when he turns, he turns his head back to the direction that he came from. I said, well, here's my chance to draw one. So when he turned his head, I drew my, drew my bow, but about mid, mid draw, he turns his head back around and he catches me drawing and looks, looks directly at me and turns and leaps away about 40 yards <laughs> and blows. And, and, you know, and that was it. I, I, I think as he was turning, I tried to release an arrow but it was nowhere close I, I thought i thought i could get one in him before he got away but uh but still, yeah that first year it just i mean it was just it was awful so so i mean i was but seeing him that, that got you know that that hooked me on coming to kansas you know so that that's the kind of bucks that you come to kansas for but right. i learned over the next few years if, if i could be a little patient that the bucks they will they do seem to settle down and they will because he was I don't believe he was going to leave that doe. If I would have just calmed down, I might would have had a uh, just a record record class buck for me my very first year. But right. so he, uh, I didn't get him, but I did see some uh, other nice bucks on that tree up. But I wind up not not harvesting any. Right. So then, yeah, obviously that sealed the deal for you to come back in the uh, the second year. Um, oh yeah. From a what was what was your second year like not only from you know time spent in the tree and you know the actual hunting but what else did you learn about that property yeah well the second year um of course we 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 um uh, we definitely hunted that same stand because and we saw a lot of the same uh a lot of the same action a lot of good bucks uh but we we ventured into some other parts of the uh of the farm um Found some other good little uh, draws and uh, and wind up. Um, I hunted I hunted the same stand that I saw the, the uh, huge buck out of. My buddy went to a different area. He wanted to hunt a different area, and he he wind up getting a uh, probably a one forty five class buck that year. Um, I hunted that area, then I hunted a uh, another little area on the farm that had some more more agriculture and. Actually saw some good bucks that year in different areas. I seen some uh, probably one thirty one one probably one thirty class, maybe pushing one forty. But I wound up I wound up not shoot. I had to, I had a good broadside shot at one, probably my fourth day out there, and I and I wound up letting him go. And uh, and I, when I got home, I'm you know I'm kicking myself. You know why did you let him go? But he was the only. He really turned out to be the only chance at a buck I, that I had that year. I we we uh one morning back in the old the my original stand we get in there a little after daylight we some reason we was late and uh so by the time I get to the tree I look and there's a uh, 
one of them huge long tined bucks standing right under my tree. Oh, boy. <laughs> and uh, it just, that just made me sick because if we could have got there maybe you know an hour earlier, I might could have harvested one. He was within twenty yards of a tree that morning. So, so I went. I went. We wound up going home that second year. My buddy got another buck, but I wound up going home empty-handed once again. Right. So, yeah. but in the distance, you're still seeing big mature bucks all over the place, I'm, right? Yes, I'm seeing good bucks. Yeah, both years. Okay. So, three uh, year number two is in the books, um, and then year three, you, you went back to the same exact spot. Uh, anything different that year? I'm, I'm sorry. My my daughter was. <laughs> Could you repeat the question? Yeah. So, Third year? Uh, yeah, year three, any different results or learn anything different about the property? Well, actually, yeah, between between year two and year three, um, I started actively searching for some private land because that second year we did start running into a, one or two guys. So, we had a driving along the highways out there. We would occasionally see some large bucks out in the uh, fields, and uh, so I so I got you know got on the internet, looked at the land the land plats, <clears throat> discovered who owned that plot of land, and uh, tried to get access to it. Well, that that guy wasn't he wasn't interested in uh, letting letting us hunt that spot, but turns out the guy that adjoined his land. I asked permission from him, and he and he was uh, more than happy to to allow me to hunt his land. So, so awesome. that's where, uh, yeah, just and uh, actually, I I met one guy out there, and uh, he allowed me to hunt his land. And then actually, this it's, it's a little crazy, but I never even met this guy. I just called him. I just kind of cold called him on the phone, and uh, just kind of talked with him a while. Get, you know, get him. Uh, Got to know him, got let him know, get to know me, and told him what we was doing, and uh, told him I'd love to come out and a bow hunt. But we'd seen some deer around his land, and uh, told him we're from Alabama and all that. And, and he he actually gave me permission right over the phone. So yeah. so that's so that's actually the place that I've been hunting my last two years is on this private farm where we've been seeing these these bucks. And uh, so that, that's we transitioned from the public over to this private these last two years. Okay. So then that's not a lease. That's just knocking on their door and asking for, for permission. And he lets you. That's exactly right. Yeah. See, I tell you what, there's so much, there's so many opportunities like that and not just in Kansas, but in all States. Yeah. I just think for some reason, a lot of people are afraid to, to ask mm-hmm. for me. It's, it's like yeah. breathing. Uh, all you gotta do is talk to them. <laughs> It, it was surprising to me. I mean, of course, I live in a rural area here in Alabama, but and of course, out there it's, it's very rural. And uh, the people out there, is, you know, it's, it's, it's very friendly, very great people. And uh, a lot of them have no interest in hunting, you know. And they're like, "Yeah, sure, if you want to hunt, you know, come on." Right. Of course, a, a lot of the places are getting more, uh, uh, you know, where it's getting where they leasing out their places now instead of getting permission. But there's still a huge yeah huge area of people that just good old good old farmers you know great people who uh more than happy to let you uh hunt their land like say if you give them a hand doing something or or just uh just being friendly carrying on a conversation absolutely Uh, but that 
And I tell you that that place has just been a it's just been a dream place for me. Uh, so the third year, then you ended up, you know, you got some private ground. Uh, did you approach yeah. that as the walking ground that you had? I mean, take a day of scouting and then you know start hunting it hard. What did you you know What did you see on that property that made you like it? Well, it's it's not a very it was not a very large piece of property, uh, so my places to put a uh, stand was kind of limited but like i said we knew this was along the same creek system right next to where we've seen the we've seen a huge buck from the highway i mean he he was he, he looked like a 170 class buck i mean it was just crazy crazy big and we knew we wanted to hunt there somewhere and uh so we we got i got got on this guy's land uh the way the creek system the creek system's sort of running north to south uh and where his property intersected this creek system, the creek kind of did a sort of a a big horseshoe bend, and it goes and it, so there's a little small opening about 50 yards across in between these the the creek, and this creek ravine is like I don't know it's eight to ten foot down, you know it's down and straight back up, and turns out these deer are using this this ravine around this field. Uh, during the rut to travel back and forth to the draw that that works way its way out to the highway okay and uh and every year I, i'm seeing these deer coming through this creek system that first year it, it was crazy because i don't think nobody ever ever hunted it i don't i don't guess because it was just the deer were everywhere uh i got in there seen bucks the first 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 morning and uh all in all after the trip trip it ended for one week of hunting i seen 24 bucks that week wow and three of them and three of the bucks were 150 inch plus bucks shooter bucks okay what was the biggest one the biggest one he was he was he was he was pushing 160 165 uh okay and that's the one i actually shot at the um but what what hurt me that year um I had a single pin sight, and this was okay. the first year that I encountered this. But the deer was just—it was must have been right in right in the peak of the chase phase because the bucks were just running all over the place. They was they would run from this you know this creek bottom over to the other creek, uh, and and I just couldn't. So I would I would have a buck coming in. He'd be at fifty, and uh, he well, he'd be at like forty yards, and I'd get my changing my range to 40 and then all of a sudden he would take off he may run to to uh 60 and then to 20 and you know so i'm sitting here messing with my yardage adjustment trying to get my yardages exact you know and and wind up letting several of them get away from me and i, I saw right away that that's that, that a single pin definitely is not <laughs> definitely got his disadvantages when you got deer running all over the place right. but uh, but I did, I wind up the, the big one. He was probably, I, I, I guesstimated him at, you know, 165 or something. He was a huge buck and uh, he, he went out there in the middle of the field and he was right at about 50 yards and he was concentrating on some does on the other side of the field. Well, he stopped when he finally stopped. I got the, uh, pin on him. And so I, just as I released my arrow, he was, he was hard quartering away from me. And as I released my arrow, and I was aiming for that off shoulder. Well, he as my arrow was releasing, I guess all in one motion, he chased like a half step forward, 
So instead of hitting toward that off shoulder, it hits him in the uh, the back left ham, and 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 off he goes. And and I was shooting the fixed blade uh, that year. I was shooting the uh, fixed blade broadhead, and he he took off and he was gone. And uh, I knew if I hadn't hit that artery, you know, it's probably just a just a bad, you know, just just it's not. I wasn't gonna have. I wasn't gonna be lucky in finding him. So, but anyhow, I let him lay overnight. We went back the next morning and uh, looked and found some blood, but I eventually found where he crossed a, a deep creek and went out over a wide open field. That's well, we at that point I knew that I haven't had it didn't didn't injure him mortally. So, so right. that was so that was my. But anyhow, I, w- I wound up seeing another uh, 140 inch class buck uh right at daybreak i think the next morning and i could not he he, he was only like 25 steps from my tree i mean he was right there and uh i could not find him in my peep it was it was still a little too dark and instead of instead of uh, risking another bad shot i just wind up letting him letting him walk away so uh, so that that pretty much winded up wound up my third year again going home uh eating uh, tag soup as they say so you're kind of having i don't want to say bad luck in kansas because overall you're seeing awesome deer um yeah so then you're you know this last year 2016 was your fourth year doing this um did you have any different expectations did you approach this fourth year a little bit different or was it you know the same kind of uh routine as the previous years no funny you asked that actually i did prepare a lot different i i thought i made a good shot on the deer that i wind up hitting him back but i, I still think it was with love with him stepping i don't think I, I jerked at all but but along that off season i come across uh uh john dudley's podcast called knock on yeah i'm sure you've heard of john dudley anyway i come across him and i'd never heard of him to this point so i started listening to some of his podcasts and and I really just totally, uh, you know, got into him. Uh, he's talking about form and, and you know, the proper way to shoot your bow. And, and anyhow, the more I listened and the more I applied his uh, principles, my uh, bow skills, you know, improved tremendously. I was, I didn't even realize that I'd been doing it wrong all these years. These years. And right. I had a uh, pretty mild case of target panic and, figured out I was a, uh, uh, trigger, trigger puncher. <laughs> and yep. so I started, I started applying the principles and just, you know, slowly, uh, slowly squeezing the trigger instead of just getting on the target and squeezing the trigger. And, uh, my, my accuracy improved tremendously. And, uh, so I just, I felt, I felt very, I felt very confident once we went back to Kansas. Uh, I didn't, I, I was planning on going to the same piece of property because of the, uh, quality of the deer there i didn't i didn't really look for anywhere else to hunt but but as far as my preparation i i, I felt like i really i really became a, a better bow hunter i learned more i think i learned more that summer than i did all my 20 previous years of bow hunting just from a technical standpoint yeah from a technical standpoint yes Shoot, gotcha. shooting the bow yeah, yeah. okay so but, you get out there and you mentioned that this this past year, you ran a couple trail cameras while you were out there. Yeah, when we was out there, yes. 
did, did those play a role at all in helping you uh, harvest the deer that you ended up harvesting? Not really. Uh, like I said, I was hunting that small, that little small, he had a little small area of property. And uh, so it really was only one or two places I could hang a, hang a climber. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, a lock on. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty much uh, set on going back to the same spots. Uh, you know, if, and if I did, if I did not see any uh, good bucks there, I was planning on going back to my to the uh, public land because it's, it's still there were still some great spots over there if no one was hunting, you know. But that was that was my my intent just to go back to the same place that I'd been hunting. And that was that long draw in the pasture that connected two uh, chunks yeah, the, of timber. The, yeah, yeah, the little horseshoe bend in the creek and all that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So then, I mean, you get, you get there. Um, did you know exactly where you, you knew, it sounds to me like you knew where you wanted to spend a lot of your time. Yeah. How many, how many bucks did you see? What was, you know, what, what happened before you ended up harvesting this buck? (laughs) This, this is actually a funny story here, Mar. Our very first morning, well, we got out, we, we arrived in the afternoon and went and hung our stands, and I think we just scouted some that first evening. The very first morning, uh, driving to the woods, um, just probably a couple miles before we turn off the little paved road, a black cat runs across in front of our truck. <laughs> and, you know, we, we was like, oh, no. <laughs> so, we, well, we might as well just turn around. That's, that's the look. That's our look for the day, you know, but. So we kind of laughed and joked, and we went on to our tree. Uh, I dropped my buddy off, and then I went on to my tree. As I'm walking in, as I'm walking into the tree that we pre-hung the day before, I get within probably 20 yards of my tree, and and all of a sudden I get a text message, and I had forgot to turn my sound off on my phone before going to the tree. Oh boy! And this this particular oh yeah this particular guy uh, is. Um, a picture friend I've got it's actually like a it's like a music it's like a music text message that goes on for like two or three seconds <laughs> four <laughs> seconds and it's like nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I'm like oh no and I'm, I'm trying to find my phone and it's, I mean the woods are just perfectly quiet you know and uh all of a sudden I hear a deer start blowing I said, oh well I said I just ruined that and I finally get my phone turn it off uh get on into my tree I said, well, it'll settle down. The deer, will, maybe the deer will start, you know, they'll show on up after a little while. So I sit there and uh, probably about, I don't know, probably I'd say mid-morning, 8.30, 9 o'clock, I look across to the upper field. There's an upper field that they planted in wheat previous year. They didn't plant this year, so I, I hunted down in the lower uh, around the creek. And uh, so I saw him across the creek, and uh, he, he started to get closer. I noticed it was a buck and this was the very first morning and he'd come along that edge of that creek and once once he got close enough i gave him a little soft grunt and he stopped the guy's attention but he didn't really know couldn't really couldn't really place where the sound came from so he, he eased on a little further and i grunted a couple more times and you know, he kind of pinpointed my location then so he walked down into the creek bottom and he just stayed there for three or four minutes actually i thought he had left and went on down the creek as well. He just didn't, he just didn't, didn't, uh, want no confrontation, but and then all of a sudden here he comes up out of the bottom and he walks straight up into that little small, like I said, 50 yards across this little small opening. And uh, he comes out of the creek, walking to the, 
straight over there to uh, to my stand. And uh, he comes, walks broadside by me at uh, 30 yards. I mean, just gives me a, I mean, a beautiful shot, perfect. Me may even been cornering away just a tiny bit. So uh, I come to full draw and I stop him, and I and I release the arrow. All right. And soon as soon as I release my arrow, I know something's wrong because as I watch the arrow come off my come off my bow, the arrow dips down and dips back up. And uh, and it hits the deer, but it hits him hits him real high, like right below the backbone. And I'm and I can I cannot for the last one. What has happened? I have no idea. So the deer takes out of there like he's on fire. You know, he leaves, jumps across the creek, gone. I mean, runs out of runs out of sight. You know, and uh, he never slacked up. So I I give it give it give it a chance. Make sure there's no other deer around. I climb down, walk over there, uh, look at the arrow. No blood. Just a little bit of hair and a little bit of fat. I said, "Well, I, you know, I, I just totally, you know, I, I hit the deer, but I just, hit, I hit one of the dead zones where there's no vitals." And I, so then I started inspecting my arrow, and I look, and one of the fletchings have, has came loose from my arrow. Oh man! <laughs> so, yeah, and and what I didn't mention earlier, I started, you know, when listening to the John Dudley thing, I, I got deep into it, and I bought me a. Uh, one of the uh, Bitsenberger jigs, and I started fletching my own arrows. And yeah. I checked all the fletchings before the trip, and I was almost positive that all of them were intact. Well, evidently this one was a little loose, and it caused my arrow flight. And then, then you start, uh, then you start saying, "Why in the world did I want to try to flesh my own arrows?" <laughs> and I should have just stuck with the factory. But anyhow, I checked all my other arrows, and they were fine. And uh, so, so I, so I. So I come on, come on back. I come on back. Uh, went home, you know, kind of aggravated and uh, you know downhearted. You know, I've let my one chance this year get away. I mean, perfect shot. And uh, how big was the deer? He was. He was. I'm saying he was 100. And, he was 140 inch probably. He, he had a good, okay. good. Uh, he, he had long, long, uh, long tines. Good, good main beams. Uh, he definitely wasn't the one like the ones I saw last year, but uh, I mean the previous year. But I had got I'd gotten to a point. I said, you know, this is my fourth year. I have set my expectations too high. Uh, you know, if I see a 140 inch or better buck, I need to I need to I need to take it. I need to break the eyes. You know, 140. I've, I've never killed uh, that class of buck with my bow and arrow. So that so that was going to be a trophy for me. So I, I just needed to. I needed to break the ice and get me a get me a deer on the ground this, this past season, so I was I was open to 140 inch deer or even a good 130s. But so this deer gets away, uh, go home. I hunt somewhere else that afternoon. Uh, go hang another stand in another location on uh, some public public ground that nobody was hunting, and then uh, and uh, didn't see anything that evening. But I came back, so I came back to my same uh, morning stand the next morning. And um, and I sit there. I hadn't seen anything all day. Uh, well, I'm all morning up to about nine o'clock. I seen a doe, and uh, so got on about I think about and, and from a totally different direction. About maybe thirty forty minutes later, I'm sitting in my stand. Well, but to back up, uh, this was this was one of the very few cold mornings that we had when we was out there. 
you know, because as you know, it was pretty warm, pretty warm fall yep. out there. Uh, this was the 12th of November, uh, and it was a good cool morning. It was probably it wasn't extremely cold, but it was in it was in the 20s. Um, and I'd got you know, and as it always does, once the sun comes on up, it seems to be a little cooler. So, so I stood up and put on a, a Berber fleece top. And what it is, it's, it's a pullover. So I put the pullover, uh, put the pullover on. And what I didn't realize at the time is, I have one of these releases that you can, you know, that you can flip back out of the way, flip back, you know, flip backwards. One of the wrist releases. So I had flipped yep, it back. Yep. I had flipped it back out of the way, and when I pulled my uh, top over it. I had forgot to pull it back out of the sleeve because the sleeve was oh, real man. tight. You know, I just wasn't, I just wasn't thinking. So, so I'm just sitting there. I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I hear something coming down the street. You know, just tearing up branches. And I said, "My goodness!" I turned and looked straight to my left, and just see a good rack. And I knew right away that it was a shooter. You know, so I reached to grab my to grab my bow off my hook. I went to the side of the tree there. When I'm trying to pull the bow, the cam had got, somehow it had got uh, hung up on that hook. <laughs> so I can't get my bow off the hook. I'm working to pull it loose, working to free it. And it took a good four or five seconds. I finally got it loose. I bring it over, go to draw my, go to draw my, uh, well, go to, not to draw, but I go to put my release on my string. And that's when I realized my release is stuck up under my sleeve. <laughs> And uh, all and this 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 that deer is coming. The deer is he is right on top of me. He is he has come up the ravine. He stepped up the ravine. He's coming to the edge of the field. He's not he's not forty yards from me. He's right there. And I'm I'm working. I mean I'm struggling. I'm I'm, I'm got my hand down that sleeve. I can't loosen it. And it's, of course it's got uh, Velcro to tighten it. You know, so I didn't want to undo the Velcro to make that loud sound. So I I struggle struggle. I, finally relieved it from my sleeve and i look and the buck's staring directly at me i mean he's just staring right at me because i know i probably with my nerves and my adrenaline going so much i probably would just <laughs> just rip it at my shirt and uh right. so he's looking directly at me and i thought oh good I, I have blue this so finally after he stares at me for seems like a minute he looks back down and continues to walk out into the open and uh luckily he was behind a little bit of a tree and there was a lot of limbs that uh was kind of hid me so maybe he didn't quite know what it was and, uh so luckily he walked on out and we walked out into the open uh he gave me about a i don't know a uh probably a 30 probably a 30 yard 25 yard quarter and away shot uh i drew back on him i stopped him uh released the arrow i mean it hit yeah i couldn't have uh placed it better with my hand if i walked over there to him and as soon as i hit him he let out a loud grunt which that was the first time i ever heard a deer make a loud sound like that but he just grunted right. real loud and uh and i actually saw you know i actually seen uh some of the blood right there when, when it you know when it made impact and, and he just took out of there i mean like i mean wide open and uh and actually when he turned away from me because I, I still hadn't got a good view of the bump because it was so Everything happened so fast. I just knew he had a good rack. Uh, when he ran away from me, I got a good glimpse of his rack. Then and I realized he was he was a good buck. And uh, he run. He hit the creek. He jumped up the other side of the creek. Come back down. 
and uh, I actually I actually was looking looking at him when he started staggering and fell down within oh. within sight of my stand there. Uh, so that had to be a good feeling. Oh my considering goodness. the the <laughs> the first uh, three years. Oh yeah, yeah. The build up from the last three years. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was because it took so long or. And I was fine up to the point, up to the point I watched him fall. And when, that, when when I watched the deer fall, I just about fell out of the tree myself. My legs started losing their, <laughs> they started losing their uh, their uh, ability to hold my to hold me up. Uh, a guy called me and he was well. I had texted my friends, you know, told him I'd got him. And uh, one of them had called me, the one that wasn't hunting. He called and was asking me about asking me about the hunt and all that. And I said, I said, I said, man, I, I said, uh. I said I've got to go. I said I, I'll tell you all about it later, but I'm scared I'm gonna fall out of the tree if I don't go and get down. <laughs> at that point, your nerve, me, your nerve, your nerves are taking over. And you couldn't, I couldn't stop shaking. But uh, yeah, I was I was excited. It was it was good to finally break the ice. So then, um, you know, three years. What uh, what did the buck end up scoring? How old do you think he was? I, I didn't have him age, but. Uh, the uh, the guy that I took it to the taxidermist, he actually scored him for me, and he scored at uh, a 145 and two eights. 145 and two eights, awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. Are you going My back to Kansas part. next year? Oh yes. Well, we have our we have our tags applied for. Uh, it's that time of the year to be doing that, so we we have our applications in. So far, we've been uh, drawn each year, so I'm I'm hoping we get drawn again this year. Cool. Well, sure. sounds like uh, you got big things coming up for another, uh, you know, full season down in Alabama and in uh, Kansas. So good luck to you this upcoming season, and thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Thanks, man. It was nice talking to you. First off, I want to say I am truly sorry for the audio uh, quality in this particular podcast. My dumbass forgot to turn on the microphone that I normally use uh, resulting in the echo in the background and that's because it was recording from my speaker on my computer. I apologize for that. Huge shout out to Chris for coming on the podcast and talking about life in Alabama and uh, life in Kansas as a, as a bow hunter and a hunter overall. And then huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Ripcord Archery, Wasp Archery, Exodus Trail Cameras, Gearhead Bows, Ozonics, and Deer Lab in no particular order. Thank you guys very much. And last but not least, all of you who have taken the time to download and listen to this podcast, I really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, big things coming down the pipe. And other than that, uh, check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, and just, you know, a little bit of conservation here. Go and join. The, if you're a huge fan of whitetail deer or even mule deer, go and join the National Deer Alliance. Google it and join. Uh, so many great things that they're trying to accomplish. Other than that, I hope everybody has a great week, a great weekend, a great life, and I guess we'll catch you on the flip side. Remember, if you're in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. <laughs>